Thank you, Debbie. I'm an alcoholic. This is not quite the international, is it? <laughs> I, uh, uh, thank you for uh, for to Debbie and Kim. And, you know, I, I, I say that jokingly, that not, not the international, probably my single greatest honor in Alcoholics Anonymous was being asked to share on the history of the big book at the international in Minneapolis. And, uh, uh, and I think I'm as nervous, if not more nervous, today because this is, this is uh, amongst my own people. And I want to thank Debbie and Kim uh, and Eric and the rest of the, the people that... Uh, that entrusted me with with this hour, or however long it takes. Um, I uh, this is a little different because it's not like coming up here and talking about myself or my story or what it was like, what happened, and what it's like today. It's more talking about a subject, and the subject is a subject that that, that is dear to me, which is the history of the Big Book and. I figured with, because it is a subject that I had license to take some notes. And so I wrote some notes and, uh, and I have given this talk about, uh, two hours time. There's a couple people here that, uh, that know that my life has been in absolute chaos the last, uh, uh, the last couple of weeks with a move and everything like that. And I am not a multitask person. I'm, I, I have to concentrate on one thing. And, and, and this morning was the very first time that I had a chance to sit down and actually put some thoughts together on the history of the big book. And, uh, and, I, and in order to talk, I don't know if I'll even refer to the notes, but starting something like this is always the most difficult thing. Once you get started, then it, it, uh, it, uh, goes pretty smooth. Do you have some water down there? Um, but it's thank you. It's kind of hard to talk about the history of the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous without also talking a little bit about the history of of alcoholism uh, and, and and a little bit about the history of recovery from alcoholism, which there was some, believe it or not, before Alcoholics Anonymous. Just talking to somebody out uh, out there in the um, uh, hospitality suite and. And he said that, uh, that Bill Wilson had, had stated that, that Alcoholics Anonymous had actually started in Carl Yoon's uh, office in, as he sat down with Roland Hazard years ago. And, and my research is that, that Alcoholics Anonymous uh, actually started uh, around 1895. And, and, and what I'm going to talk about tonight is, is that's, not when, that's actually when Bill Wilson was born, but, but uh, that's, that's not when the the ducks started to line up that, that created Alcoholics Anonymous and that created the book that, that we all, that we all read today. So what I'm going to talk about is a little bit about the history of, 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 uh, of alcoholism, the history of Alcoholics Anonymous, the, the pre-AA days, um, the early AA days, the pre-Big Book days, uh, whose idea the Big Book was, it wasn't Bill's, it was Hank Pease, Hank Parker's, uh, how the writing of the book went, and and on and on, and uh, a little bit about what happened afterwards. So it really will be a what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now, but it's a little bit about AA and about the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, but more than anything else, I'm going to talk about, about, about those ducks. And a lot of ducks had to line up in a row in order for us all to be sitting here in this room. And, um, you know, the... 
the alcoholism goes back the, the first I, I believe that writings about alcoholism were, were back in the clay tab tablets of Babylonia and and, and and these tribesmen would would uh, uh, they'd harvest all year and then they'd take the the, the the harvest and they'd gather it all together and if they had a great harvest and they'd, they'd they'd ferment it and they'd go out and they'd get drunk and they'd and they'd get drunk and they'd go raid the other tribes and they'd go steal the women cause fights and wars and go steal the steal the other tribesmen's women and bring them back and does anybody relate to that uh, and uh, and that was back when they were writing in stone and uh, uh, and, and, and even as most people know the, the, the Alcoholics Anonymous was found out of the Oxford group principles which was a, uh, 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 a Christian uh, uh, it's called the re, uh, moral rearmament today but it was a it was a it was a Christian uh, uh, movement and uh, in, in, in the Bible there's the story of Noah and I guess God was upset at, I, I'm not real familiar with the story, but, but was upset with human beings, so he took the animals that he loved and put two of them each on a, on a ship, and, and Noah went out, and, and when the flood was over, uh, Noah got off the boat, and uh, the very first thing he did is he planted grapes. My kind of, my kind of drunk. Planted, planted grapes, got drunk, and barbecued the animals. It's uh, <laughs> my slant on the... Uh, on, on that, but uh, anyway, in, in in 18 in the early 1840s, there was six drunks, and they were sitting in a bar in Baltimore, Maryland. And I'll talk a little bit about recovery from alcoholism prior to AA. There were six drunks in a bar in Baltimore, Maryland, and the bar was called the Washington Inn. And they swore off, and they they agreed to have a get a higher power, and and these six drunks swore off, and they became what was known as the Washingtonians. And it was because they, they swore off in the, Washington, in the Washington Inn, the Washington Bar in Baltimore, Maryland. And they formed this group, and they, they realized that they could stay sober together uh, as a group, but they couldn't stay sober alone. And that was one of the first things that, that be, began the formation of Alcoholics Anonymous. But, but these people had no roots. They had no traditions. They had no... Uh, rules for lack of a better word and they and, and money property and prestige and power started to interfere and and they started taking political positions they took they took a position on uh on alcohol reform and the one that killed them is they took a position on slavery and what happened is is because they took the political positions then the factions started collapsing and within 20 years the washingtonians were gone and this group started with those six drunks sitting in a bar in Baltimore, Maryland, in 1840, and within 10 years, had grown to 500,000 people. 500,000 people, and that was 500,000 people staying sober together. But what their original plan was was to have a singleness of purpose, where they were going to stay sober together. They were going to not drink, but they but they ventured out and they ventured into all these these other things, and and the result was that they that that it collapsed, and uh, the Washington. What Alcoholics Anonymous has learned, they, uh, one of the, uh, the basis for our tr traditions was, that, was learning from other people's mistakes, and a big, one of the big mistakes was what the Washingtonians did, is they, they, they got involved in other people's business and, and eventually failed. But in 1895, there was a drunk, and remember this name, his name was Sam Hadley. And what I'm going to do now is start lining up some, some ducks in a row. 
Sam Hadley was a was a chronic alcoholic, and he had what what was back then called a conversion experience. He was drunk. He was a hopeless drunk. That happened to also be the year that Bill Wilson was born. So we're 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 before Bill Wilson's birth, and and Sam Hadley uh, had a conversion experience that was was notable. There was a there was a young brilliant psychiatrist back then by the name of William James. And if we read the history books, and one of the things that I'm not going to do today is, is, is that the history of Alcoholics Anonymous is well chronicled. Uh, the book passed it on about Bill Wilson's life, and Dr. Bob and the Good Old Timers is Dr. Bob and the early Akron members. Uh, AA Comes of Age is a great history book on Alcoholics Anonymous, and I, I think that, that AA Comes of Age should be mandatory reading for any newcomer in AA. Uh, if, if our life I'll speak for myself. If my life depends upon Alcoholics Anonymous, then I ought to know as much as I can about it. And that's what I was told early in sobriety. Um, but um, anyway, Sam Hadley, he got sober through this uh, religious conversion experience, and, um, and it was notable to this, to this William James. And William James was writing a book, and the book was called The Varieties of Religious Experience. That's this book right here. This happens to be the, not this particular one, but this this, this book, uh, the book that that Bill Wilson read in Towns Hospital when he had what he called his hot flash experience, and it was a it was a profound spiritual experience where he talked about it in his story that he saw this magnificent flash of white light and a cool breeze was blowing through him. He wasn't sure exactly what happened to him, and he asked Dr. Silkworth. Uh, the attending physician who ran Towns Hospital, you know, what happened? Am I hallucinating? And Dr. Silkworth told him, no, whatever happened, Bill, just keep it. Grab onto it and keep it, because what it is is better than it was an hour ago. But Eddie Thatcher, the man that Bill credited with being his sponsor until the day he died, brought Bill this book, A Varieties of Religious Experience, from William James. And in this book, uh, William James had written about several different uh, conversion experiences, and one of them, he wanted to write about an alcoholic, and he wrote about Sam Hadley. So, that's kind of a duck that's going to come into place a little later. We're going to flash forward to about 1927, and Bill Wilson is in the throes of his alcoholism. He's still successful at this point, but he's uh, he's starting to lose things. Uh, he's 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 going to detox. He's he's having some major problems. Uh, the idea of Alcoholics Anonymous was not was not there yet. But Sam Hadley, the fellow that William James wrote about, it had a son, and his son was named Harrison Hadley. I'm going to tie all this stuff together. Harrison was a drunk as well, and he knew that his dad had got sober in a mission back in 1895, and it was a guy by the name of Frank McCauley's mission, and. What they were doing back in 1895, uh, we didn't have communications back then. We didn't have the telephones and the television and different things. But we can assume safely that that if this was happening in one place, it was probably happening in various places throughout the United States. But there were 35 people in this in this Macaulay's mission staying sober together in 1895. And Harrison Hadley, Sam's son, uh, knew that if he could get a mission together, that possibly a group of his people could, could get and stay sober as well. There was a fellow by the name of Frank Buckman who had these great ideas about uh, uh, Christian reform 
and different ideas, different slants on Christianity. This is kind of interesting because I've kind of just closed the book here and I'm winging it. <laughs> but uh, uh, Frank Buckman was in China and he was over there with uh, another, he, Frank Buck, Buckman was a brilliant young minister and he was over in China and he met up with a, with a, uh, a brilliant American young minister by the name of Samuel Shoemaker. And he convinced Sam Shoemaker of his, of his teachings on, on this uh, new Christian belief, uh, this new Christian uh, uh, slant on, what he was, on, on the message he was trying to get across, and, and it was what was to become the Oxford Group. And Sam Shoemaker was installed as the director of the Oxford Group east of the Mississippi River. So Harrison Hadley, who was Sam's son that got sober in 1895, was, had a major drinking problem, and he looked up Sam Shoemaker who was now very active and, and running the Oxford Group movement in, in, uh, in east of the Mississippi. And Harrison Hadley went to Sam and, and said, you know, you've got a mission down there in the Bowery in New York. It's dilapidated. It's, 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 nobody can, it's, it's unusable. How about if I go in there and clean it up, uh, make it usable, and I bring in drunks and we, and we get a gathering of people together under the Oxford Group movement and, and, uh, and, and we'll get sober there. And Sam Shoemaker said that, that that would be fine. So they went in and they went and they opened what is called the Calvary Mission. Now the Calvary Mission is the place that Bill Wilson went, and that's where he went to drag drunks out of. Um, so we've got we've got Frank Buckman and Sam Shoemaker doing the doing the Oxford group. I'm going to get to the book here pretty soon. I don't know what time it is. Um, we've got. Uh, Sam Shoemaker and, and Buckman doing the Oxford Group movement. And we've got a, a, a young, rich drunk over here in, in, in America. And this is in the late 1920s as well. And his name is Roland Hazard. And Roland is, the, is a rich kid who is the heir to the Allied Chemical uh, Corporation, big, big corporation back then. And he can't get sober. He's tried everything to get sober. So his, his father sends him over to Europe to spend a year with the most renowned psychiatrist in the world. Back at that time, it was, we had Freud and Jung, Carl Jung. And Roland Hazard went over to Europe to spend a year with Jung, and he learned everything that there was about the psychology and the psychiatry and the thinking of the alcoholic and everything that there was to learn about a, that, a, that a human being can absorb as far as knowledge on alcoholism. And he learned, he learned all this stuff, and, and he had it licked this time. And he got on the boat to come, come back, and I'm not sure whether it was on the boat that he got drunk or very shortly afterwards, but he got drunk. And he couldn't get back in. So he had heard, he, he, his dad put him back on, on, on the trip, went back to, to Carl Yoon, and Yoon told him the first time that this was said, uh, the next time would be from Silkworth to, to Bill Wilson. Carl Jung said, you know, with all my, with all my degrees and all my, all my information and with all the medical experience that I have and everything I know about psychiatry, I cannot help you. You're beyond human aid. He said, that doesn't mean that you can't be helped. That doesn't mean that you're hopeless. He said, there has been rare instances of conversion, profound religious conversion experiences. You may be one of those that can do that. And so he sent him back over here, and, and, and Roland Hazard had heard of the Oxford Group, and he had heard about 
Harrison Hadley and, and Shoemaker's uh, uh, Calvary Mission, and he went there and he got sober. And, and, he, and he remained sober. Where am I on here? I kind of lost myself. Um, but he remained sober, and, uh, and, and, and he knew that he had to, another thing that came about in AA, but, but he knew that he, he had to pass this thing on. And what he did was, Roland Hazard uh, summered in Vermont. Vermont's an interesting place. Uh, it, Vermont is where the ducks started to form that ended up right here in this room. Uh, Vermont is where Bill Wilson was born. Vermont is where uh, Dr. Bob was born. Uh, Vermont, now Vermont is not known for anything other than there's more cows than people. Uh, but Vermont is where Roland Hazard summered. Vermont is where Ebby Thatcher, who was to become Bill Wilson, summered. So the ducks are starting to form in, in, in the little state of Vermont. And Roland goes back to Vermont and he finds a couple of guys to sober up. He got sober in the, in the Calvary mission and he goes back to Vermont to, uh, uh, to spend the summer and he needs to talk to people about alcoholism so he, he goes out and finds himself a couple drunks. And who he found back then, and this is, Bill Wilson is still in the throes of his alcoholism, was a guy by the name of Siebert Graves and Shep Cornell. And remember the Shep Cornell name because he's going to become one of the ducks in a row here. No, I take that back. Don't try to remember it. Just log, log it. Just log it. So Siebert Graves and Shep Cornell and Ro Roland Hazard are sober back in Vermont. And Ebby Thatcher is back there as well. Now, Ebby Thatcher is the fellow that Bill wrote about in Bill's story that he, Bill was drunk and sitting there at the table and all of a sudden his, this friend that he hadn't seen in years showed up and this friend was sober. That's Ebby Thatcher. Now, Ebby Thatcher sat there and told he said, Bill, I've got religion. And Bill thought, well, I'm glad you got religion because i got more gin. And, uh, uh, but what, what Ebby actually said, this says it in the book, is that God has done for him what came to be our 12th promise on, 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 in the promises that were read at a lot of meetings. Is that Ebby flatly stated that God was doing for him what he could not do for himself. So Ebby was the one that took the message to Bill. But, but Ebby had been, been pronounced by this judge as insane. And he was told by this judge, after he, Ebby had all kinds of trouble with alcohol, and he always ended up in court and in jail. And this judge told him, Ebby, one more beer, just one more beer, and I'm going to commit you to the state mental institution. So, I mean, if, that, if that's not a, 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 a reason to, to, to give up the booze, I don't know what is. So Ebby goes up to Vermont, where he summers, and he's sober. So he's... He's in this great big house, and this is, I love, I love Ebby. I mean, this is class. I can, I can identify with his thinking here. He's in this great big house that belongs to his father, and he goes downstairs, and there's a case of unopened beer uh, that, that he looked at, and he looked at, and he looked at. And his mind told him that this was a, da this was a dangerous thing. It was summer in Vermont, and it was warm, and there was 24 beers in this case, and and if those beers sat there and they fermented any longer, and if they, if there happened to be any children hanging around in that basement, and if they fermented to the point that they would explode, that someone could get hurt. And 
the only reasonable thing for an alcoholic to do, you couldn't dump it, is to drink it. So Ebby drank the beers. And he got drunk, and many have heard the story, he got in his car and drove directly in through the front window of a neighbor's house, rolled out of the car, and she was sitting, standing there all freaked out, and he got it rolled out of the car and said, have you got the coffee on? Um, but uh, that's, that's Ebby Thatcher, and, 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 he, and he continued to drink, and he finally got arrested for, for, for shooting off a firearm and, in, uh, in, 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 a, in a public, you know, in, in the city, in public town or whatever it is, and he's back in front of the judge. Now, this time he's already been told, you know, Ebby, one more beer, and you're going to go to the state mental institution. But if you read the literature, it says in there that three people showed up in court with Ebby Thatcher. So anybody that thinks that, that, that uh, court orders are new to Alcoholics Anonymous, they were around before Alcoholics Anonymous. And Bill's sponsor was court ordered to Alcoholics Anonymous, basically. But it, there was no AA at that time. But the three people that showed up in that courtroom were Roland Hazard and the two guys that he sobered up, Siebert Graves and Shep Cornell. And these are the ducks that are lining up. And the judge looked down at, at Ebby Thatcher and he told him, he says, you know, I told you that if you ever showed up in my courtroom again, I was going to sentence you to the state mental institution. But there's a fellow in this court who I have tried to get sober for my entire life, and I couldn't. And I have no idea what happened. But my son is in this court, and his name was Shep Cornell. And the judge was the father of Shep Cornell, who Roland Hazard had got drunk, who had got sober. So the judge, the judge said, I sentence you to go with that man, which was Roland Hazard. And I sentence you to do what he does and go where he goes and do whatever he says. And I'll withhold the sentence to the state mental institution. So, so far, what we've got is we've got We've got Sam Hadley to Harrison Hadley to William James, the psychiatrist who wrote the book, to Roland Hazard, to Carl Jung, back to Roland Hazard, to Vermont, to Siebert Graves, to Shep Cornell, and now to Ebby Thatcher. So it comes to the point now where we're sitting. They took Ebby Thatcher back to, to the Calvary Mission, and the first person he thought about was was our founder, Bill Wilson, when he got back to New York. Now, a lot of people think that Bill and Ebby drank together for a long time, but according to a tape that, that Ebby gave, Bill and, Bill and Ebby only drank together one time. And that was the time that they were going to, they, they chartered a plane and flew into some, some uh, airport, and, and uh, the, the whole town was there to cut the ribbons because it was the first landing of an airplane in, in their new airport runway, and Bill and Ebby fell out of the, uh, fell out of the plane just shit-faced drunk. And, uh, and uh, that was that was their only drunk together. But uh, uh, anyway, uh, Ebby, Ebby uh, they put him out on a street corner to to, to preach and, and to to convert people. And he thought about Bill Wilson, and and he went over to Bill's house, and Bill was drunk, and and uh, flatly proclaimed at that time that God was doing for him what he could not do for himself. So Bill. While he was drunk at the time, he decided he would go back one more time. And he went back to Towns Hospital, where he claims he was four times. Uh, somebody else, uh, Dr. Silkworth claims, I can't remember exactly, but uh, 
Ray O from from Florida, who's a who's a uh, an archivist and, and, a, and a history buff in AA, claims that he he saw the records for Towns Hospital and claims that Bill Wilson was in there 14 times. Um, so Bill goes back to the Towns Hospital, and he he uh, he has his white flash experience, and he and he and he gets sober, and he's got to give this thing away. And I'm not going to go through all the all the uh, uh, the leading up to it, but but anyway, he's 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 sober for a few days or a few weeks, whatever it may be, and and he's going he's he's trying to sober people up. He's going down to the Bowery. He's dragging people out of bars. He's he's doing everything that he possibly can. For some reason, he knew that the key for 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 him to stay sober, he had the information. Doctor Silkworth had pronounced him to his wife Lois the same thing that Carl Hune had said to to Roland Hazard. Bill went in that last time, and, and Silkworth, uh, who treated thousands of alcoholics, pulled him and Lois aside, and he, and he was talking to Lois, and he says, you know, your husband, there's nothing we can do for your husband. There's nothing we can do. He's going to either die very shortly, or he's going to be committed for an indeterminate amount of time to a state mental institution. So Bill had what was required in this program, which was a bottom. And uh, uh, a bottom at depth is what, is, what, is, what, uh, uh, is, is the first condition of sobriety in this program. And uh, so he's out. He's sober now. He's he's uh, he's had this white flash experience, and he's out there dragging people off of bar stools. He's trying to get them sober. He's taking them home, and his good wife Lois is feeding them and giving them coffee. And he's drunk. So he's not having any success at all. And a time came during that first six months before he met Dr. Bob in June or or, or May of of, uh, of 1935. Bill sobriety date was uh, was the first part of December, December 11th of 1934. Um, we celebrate the June date as Founders Day because that was the first day that Dr. Bob got sober, and now that now there were two. But uh, uh, Bill was dragging people out of bar stools, off of bar stools, and he he uh, he went home one day, and, and and I'm here to tell you that everybody in this room's sobriety hinged on what was about to be said. The most Three most important words in all of Alcoholics Anonymous ever uttered were right then, and they weren't even uttered by an alcoholic. Because Bill came home and he was exhausted. He was tired. And he went home and he was talking to his wife, Lois, and he said, you know, I've tried everything. I have done everything. I've drugged people home. We've fed them. We've given money. We've done everything with your meager earnings, and not one person has stayed, stayed sober. And I'm telling you, everybody in Alcoholics Anonymous sobriety was hinging right then on what she said, because she looked him in the eye and she said, you did, Bill. And that's important. That's damn important. So anyway, Bill, he's six months sober, and he's, he's dabbling back in Wall Street. And uh, uh, I love it when people say that, you, you know, if you, if you still have your wristwatch on, you, 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 you haven't gone low enough. And keep in mind, I always tell people that when they say stuff like that, you know, alcohol, the first three members of Alcoholics Anonymous were a stockbroker with a law degree, a surgeon, and a lawyer. And I'll guarantee you, every one of them had their watch. Keep my opinion to myself after that. Um, it's too late for that, isn't it? Uh, so, so Bill gets uh, gets sent back to to Akron. I better get with uh, get get to the book here pretty quick. Huh? Uh, Bill gets sent to Akron by a company called Beers and Company of all of all companies, and he meets Dr. Bob. And I'll fast forward this a little bit. He meets Dr. Bob, and uh, an AA is formed. 
Dr. Bob gets drunk one more time, and then they get sober. And then he gets sober, and AA is formed. They go out and they and they and they uh, twelve-step build Dotson. They didn't know what they were doing at the time, um, but they, they they got a they, they got a couple other people in Akron. Uh, Bill went back to New York after six months, and he got a couple of people sober. And now there's now there's groups in two places. There's groups in Akron, Ohio. There's group in New York, and a faction broke off and went into Cleveland. Those are more ducks in the row. Um, one of the people that, that Bill that, that Bill was able to work with in in uh, uh, in New York was Hank P. And Hank P. was a bigwig. He could not stay sober. If you read the book, it, there's a portion in the book that, that uh, I think it's Silkworth that's talking, and it says uh, about a year ago he he says that he met this man who he, who he couldn't recognize uh, later, and that was Hank Hank P. And Hank P. was a was a big shot. He had 6,000 employees. He was a big shot with Standard Oil, and he could not get he could not get sober. But he was a promoter. He was a big promoter. Um, it, the big book was was actually Hank's idea. Uh, he he figured that they had to pass this message through literature, and he told he told Bill to write his story, and then right there is the solution. And and that was the that was the beginning of the uh, of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. But uh, Hank P. What what they did in 1938. I'm just going to close it. Uh, um, in 1938, they took a head count, and they were sitting around a table in Akron, and they counted 40 people. And 40 people were, had, had, had got sober and had maintained sobriety during that time, and they realized that they were on to something. So they sat down, and, and Bill Wilson, of course, was a, was a stockbroker, and he was a great promoter of everything, and they sat down and thought, how are we going to carry this message? If we do it the way we're doing it, it'll be 10 years before it ever gets out of Akron. So Bill's idea, of course, was to, he, he was the big shot, and he wanted to have a string of hospitals. Uh, he wanted to have, have paid emissaries to go across the country. Uh, he also wanted to name it the Bill Wilson Movement. Uh, <laughs> but at, at, at this point, and he also wanted to write a book, which was Hank, which was one of Hank P's uh, brainchild. So, the, the group and, and, and the group conscience is starting to take effect at this time, and they mix the idea of the hospitals, uh, the, the paid the, the paid emissaries, the string of hospitals, but they gave Bill the okay to to go ahead and write this book. We were in Minneapolis, and uh, I was going to do this this talk, and and uh, you know, I was trying to put it put something together to where it could be connected, and we were wandering around. It was a huge the international back there, and this whole city downtown was shut down. The various hotels were all having parties, and we walked into this uh, into this one uh, uh, pavilion at the Hyatt back there, and there was a country d uh, band playing, and they and they had it. They were playing a song called uh, "One of God's Greatest Gifts Was Gifts Is, is un Unanswered Prayers," and, and and that kind of put it put, pulled it all together to, for me because I believe that that this big book and Alcoholics Anonymous is not necessarily a gift of unanswered prayers, but a, but a gift of answered prayers, but most of them God was saying no. Not be passing this in front of everybody to have you edit this whole book. Either I write it or you write it. So they got together and they made the decision, okay, Bill, go ahead and write it. I want to read you a, a, a few lines in the very same chapter after that decision was made. We hope that you are convinced now that God can remove whatever self-will has blocked you off from him. 
if you have already made a decision in an inventory of your grosser handicaps, you have made a good beginning. That being so, you have swallowed and digested some big chunks of truth about yourself. That's the, that's the writing style between the first five chapters and the rest of the book. Um, but anyway, uh, the book is being written, and, and Bill is, is uh, uh, they, they've, they've gone to the Reader's Digest, but they need some money. And Hank and Bill are, are, uh, are, are, are great salesmen, so they decided these two guys could sell Playboy to a blind man. They decided that they needed some money, so they so they they they're they're going to form a hundred of the hundred men corporation, and they're going to sell stock. If anybody wants to look at this stuff afterwards, I usually do a display, but I've been moving, and and the movers just got done, and I just it's all packed up, and I didn't have I didn't have time to put all that stuff out there. But this is a copy of the of the stock perspective that Bill and Hank Parkhurst were selling. Twenty five dollars a share, par value in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, in a corporation that never existed. Uh, so <laughs> they sold they sold all this stuff and, and they got and, and they and they got some money together and they got the book completed and they went back to the reader's digest and they said, Here it is. You know, we're ready to go to work we 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 sold all this stock in a corporation that doesn't exist. We borrowed money from here and there to put this that we 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 formed our own publishing company, we published the book ourselves, Cornwall Press, we're into them for for however much money that printed this book. Um, and that's the book that came out. And this is a red book. This is the first printing of the first edition of Alcoholics Anonymous. This is very special, and this one belonged to Chuck Chamberlain, if anybody heard uh, knows, knows of Chuck C. Uh, there's, there's no heroes in Alcoholics Anonymous, but if there was, uh, he would be one. Uh, and that's the book that came out. So they go back to the Reader's Digest and they say, oh, we're sorry, uh, we changed our mind. And uh, so now we're stuck with, uh, with uh, 3,700 of these red books. But I think I'm going to back, I'm going to regress a little bit and talk, talk about what went in the book? What did Bill? What did Bill? Has anybody ever wondered about the story of the man of thirty in the big book? It's an interesting story. He, the man of thirty, who decided drinking was a problem in his life, so he gave up the bottle, uh, stayed sober for twenty years, and at retirement age, out came the slippers, not came the bottle. And uh, that's a neat story. But consider the fact that Bill was only sober three and a half years when he wrote the book. Where did that come from? Where did that come from? I'll tell you where it came from. It came from a, a, a story called Out of the Common Sense of Drinking. It was a story of, uh, by William Peabody. A lot of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I want to I read something here about the book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And this is by Bill Wilson. He was talking to Yale, um, to, the, to the medical profession at, at, at Yale Uni University. And I'm going to be reading some stuff here and, and get to, to what, what the contents of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous were. This is what Bill said. He said, at the very outset, we should like to make it ever so clear that AA is a synthetic concept, a synthetic gadget, as it were, drawing upon our own experience of drinking and recovery. You will search in vain for a single new fundamental. We have nearly streamlined old and proven principles of psychiatry and religion into such forms that the alcoholic will accept them. 
And then we have created a society of our own kind where he can enthusiastically put these very principles to work on himself and other sufferers. So what we have here is that nothing in this big book is original. Nothing. Well, I, some things are original, but not near as many as you think. So Alcoholics Anonymous has made two major contributions to the program of psychiatry and religion. These are, it seems to us, the long missing links in the chain of recovery. Our, our ability as ex-drinkers to, number one, our ability as ex-drinkers to secure the confidence of the new man, to build a transmission line into him, and two, the provision of an understanding society of ex-drinkers in which the newcomer can successfully apply the principles of medicine and religion to himself and to others. Well, where did the book come, come, come from? This book right here is called Man the Unknown. Now, this, this book was, was, was written in 1935. Bill Wilson was an avid reader. Um, what he wrote about this book, he said, on reading this book, Man the Un Unknown, some of us realized that was just what we had been groping towards. We had begun to build a program out of our own experiences. At this point, we thought, let, let us reach into other people's experiences, not opinions, experiences. Let us, I see that in, I shouldn't have done it. Let's, let's go back to our friends, the, uh, <laughs> our friends, the doctors. Let's go back to our friends, the preachers, the social workers, all of those who have been concerned with us. And again, review what they have got and bring it into, into this uh, s synthesis. And let us, where we can, bring them in where they will fit. So our process of trial and error began. And at the end of four years, the material was cast in the form of the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. So the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous was actually cast out of Man the Unknown. There's other, there's other books. Emmett Fox was a, was a, was a, a, a preacher back in, in the uh, late, in, in the 1920s, and he wrote and did uh, talks on the Sermon on the Mount. And he was a, he was a big, uh, uh, all the AA members would go around, he, he did talks throughout New York, and all the AA members would go listen to Emmett Fox. And they did uh, inspirational readings and studies out of his, out of his literature. Um, of course, we talked about the varieties of religious experience. Uh, another book that, that Bill had, had read that, that was an integral part of the big book was, was this one. It's called As Man Thinketh. And this is the one that, that basically uh, the concept out of the book where it says our problems are basically of our own making comes from. This, is, this book basically says, you know, we are what we think. It says uh, uh, the, the part in there where we're doing the when we're doing the inventory where we look hard at ourselves and we're we're tough on ourselves and easy with others comes from this book. It says we must one of the one of the sentences in there it says we must learn to crucify ourselves on a daily basis. Uh, but but Bill took a lot of these a lot of this stuff from other books. Um, the book what is the Oxford group? This, this book uh, is a first printing of, of what is the Oxford group. And this was basically the Oxford group's big book. And, and it, and it um, talked about their, the four absolutes. It was the absolute, they, they had four, it was four absolutes and then it was a four-step program, I believe. It was, they, had, they had to have absolute honesty, absolute purity, absolute unselfishness, and absolute love. And then, then, the, then the steps of the program was they shared their sins with other, with, with other people, uh, other, other Christians, step five, uh, restitution to everybody they had harmed, steps eight and nine, listening to and accepting and relying upon God's guidance and carrying, off, and carrying out all their affairs, the rest of the, of, of the, uh, uh, of the uh, spiritual steps in this program. 
Uh, so the Oxford group was a, was a, was a big, uh, uh, was huge in the, in the formation of the thought process in Alcoholics Anonymous. The other thing, a, a little history on the Oxford group is, is Frank Buckman's philosophy, I don't know, when, when Ronald Reagan was president, he came out with this, uh, uh, this thing called trickle-down economics. And, uh, and, and Frank Buckman's idea in the Oxford group was very similar to that. It was, it was a trickle-down uh, passing on of the message. And his philosophy, while they were trying to reach the poor and the downtrodden, the way to get to them was to get a couple of the rich people uh, to accept their, their belief system, and the rich people would finance and it would trickle down to the poor people, and they did. They got Harvey Firestone and, and one of the uh, one of the Goodyear people, and some of the real rich people back then uh, got sober through the Oxford Group, and it trickled down to the to the people within the missions. So that that was a, a big part of of Alcoholics Anonymous. Twice Born Men is another book that that uh, uh, was an important part. The story this this was written in 1909. And this is, a, this is a group of drunk stories. It's all stories of drunks. This is where the, the idea came from for the stories in the back of the, uh, uh, stories in the back of the big book. The, name of, the, the, the names of some of these stories, the criminal, the copper basher, lowest of the low, apparent failure. All of these stories were, were, uh, uh, were, were, is where Bill got the idea to put stories of our experience in the back of the book. Um, a Way of Life, it's a book that uh, my good friend Don just grabbed me off the internet, uh, is, a, is, a, is a book that was written in 1937. And, and uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that as Bill sees it, that we read today, in its original form was called The AA Way of Life. And A Way of Life was written by William Osler in 1937, and it's where we got the, it's where Bill got the idea of, of uh, one day at a time. Uh, and it was, it was inspirational daily readings, and, it's, and, and it was where, the, uh, where, where we uh, got one day at a time. One of the quotes in that thing is, is uh, and this is, this is interesting, our lives are like a great ocean liner. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. I don't want to use the word plagiarized, but on the first page of chapter two, and there is a solution. It says, like, we are passengers of the great freight liner. Uh, the, some of the profound things that are written in the big book, uh, half measures availed us nothing. In the common sense of drinking, written by Peabody, years before Alcoholics Anonymous was even a thought, there was a line in there that, and David read all these books, half measures were to no avail. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic directly out of the common sense of drinking. So what Bill was saying is that this program was not a, it was, it was taken from many, many different people. It was taken from Carl Kuhn, the, the psychiatrist. It was taken from, from uh, uh, William Silkworth. It was taken from the Oxford group, uh, from the four absolutes and their different tenets. It was taken from, from the experiences of, of uh, uh, the, the people that got sober in the Oxford group. It was taken from, from, from all the different, uh, books that, that, that he read. He was, he was a, a sponge for knowledge about, about alcoholism. So what we have is, is, um, 
we got the book. We, we, we have the book written, and and, and at this point, they, they're sitting on 4,700 of these books, and they can't do anything with them. The Reader's Digest had already uh, said that they weren't going to print the article, so they had to do something. Um, Bill, through relatives, had a connection with the Rockefellers, and they had a dinner, and the drunks went to the dinner, and the Rockefellers hosted this dinner. And this is another another time of, of basically God saying no. But Bill's, according in his words, was it was time to put the touch on the big money for the dough. And uh, and he was going to put the touch on the Rockefellers for the dough. And they had this dinner and they told their stories and and, and Mr. Rockefeller Sr. was not there, but his son Nelson was and 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 they sent a message back and they said something that, that basically saved Alcoholics Anonymous. If it hadn't been for this dinner, if it hadn't been for these words, we probably wouldn't be sitting here either because Bill was going to go out and sell this thing. There's the stock certificates to prove it. And they said, won't money spoil this? Won't money spoil this? And Rockefeller pledged $5,000 to Dr. Bob to pay off his mortgage for Bill to get us, uh, Bill and Dr. Bob to get a stipend to, 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 to carry on their work. And they, and they, and they carried it on and and they were just absolutely broke when, when something broke through. There's an article in 1939, and I have the magazine, and I was looking for it when I set that Saturday Evening Post up there, but it's called the, the Liberty Magazine, and it was written in 1939, and it's written by a fellow by the name of Morris Markey, and he, and he had heard of Alcoholics Anonymous, and, and, and the Liberty Magazine was a nationally publicized magazine. The sheriffs had already moved into the, to the offices and were, were closing AA down or closing Bill and taking his desk and all of that stuff and and uh, Liberty magazine came out and they sold out of this magazine 500 big books and what that did is is it bought enough time it financed Alcoholics Anonymous long enough for that article to come out which was the Saturday Evening Post article in 19, March 1941 by Jack Alexander. And there was also something else that happened that may have been just as important that a lot of people don't talk about, but there was a young pitcher that, that was, uh, could throw a fastball faster than anybody back then. His name was Bob Feller. And he came up and there was an old catcher that used to catch for him that had gone from team to team and he was a drunk. Raleigh H was his name. And, uh, he just happened to be on, on the team in Cleveland when Bob Feller the young pitching phenom to two no-hitters, and he and Raleigh was the catcher. And when you catch the pitcher that throws two no-hitters, you get a little press yourself. And Raleigh, Raleigh said, "I want you to know I've been sober for a year, and I and I got sober in Alcoholics Anonymous." And that article made the Cleveland Plains dealer. And what that did is it it did it did several things. Is it went public? It 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 let people know that people that young people could could get sober and successful people and you didn't have to be a skid row wino. Uh, you didn't have to have lost everything. This was an active catcher for a professional baseball team. But Raleigh H. basically, along the time of, of the Liberty Magazine and the Saturday Evening Post, was probably as, as an important part as anything by going public. Uh, at that time we had no tradition so there was nothing about anonymity uh, and it was okay to do it. But in, in 1941 there was a reporter Um, 
Good. I was wondering what I was going to say for five minutes. Um, don't worry about it. I actually love talking about this. Uh, it, Jack Alexander was, was uh, heard about Alcoholics Anonymous, and he, and he was going to uh, expose AA as a fraud, as the fraud he thought it was. And he went back to Akron, and he was going to do this expose. And what happened is he actually fell in love with the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous and fell in love with the people. And he wrote this article for the Saturday Evening Post in 1941, and it was a glowing article about the Fellowship and about the Big Book and about, about alcoholism and the success of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and out of that article came 10,000 members of Alcoholics Anonymous. Out of that article, according to Bill Wilson, AA became a national pastime. And it was out of that article that, that AA exploded all over the country. And, 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 and I am gonna, I think I will wrap it up pretty, pretty quick and, and, and stay within this, uh, this time period. But, but the rest is all history. I, I, the, the greatest, uh, in, in the, in the second edition, there's a, there's a, uh, the forward to the second edition is, is probably the, the best condensed history lesson of AA that, that's written. But, uh, today what's happened over, over the, over the years is that, that uh, the first edition was printed. There were 16 different printings of the first edition. Uh, then they went into the second printing, which was in 1955, and they printed 16 different printings of that edition. Uh, people say that nothing's changed in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and that's simply not true. Uh, every printing of the first 16 printings is different. Words are different. Statistics are different. Things are different. Things, things change in the big book. Um, they went on to print the third edition, and I don't know what printing we're on now, but but uh, it's in the it's in the 70s, and, the, and they're in the process right now of printing a fourth edition. Uh, to date, uh, there's 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 35 languages. I, I have in a collection at home the first translation uh, of the of the big book into a foreign language. It's the Spanish manuscript, and that was the first translation, and, and I think it was 1957 that that we did that, and now we have 35 languages. And uh, as of this morning, which is the, the work that I have done in preparation of this, <laughs> uh, there have been 21,200,000 copies of the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous printed in 35 languages. And what that, where that takes us is, is, is back to the ducks and something that, that uh, I, I, I believe is so true. In, in, in Dr. Bob's wife Anne's diary, she had a quote from Carl Sandburg. And what that quote said was, whenever any civilization or society perishes, there's always one condition present. They forgot where they came from. And that holds true today as well as it held true back then. Now, Carl Sandburg was a writer and a poet, and I checked and checked and checked and I actually went to the University of Nevada library and talked to them because I learned way back in English class you cannot end a sentence with a preposition and from is a so anyway I wanted to find out I'm a perfectionist but uh, uh, what they told me up at UNR is that uh, that uh, uh, he's a poet and you can end poetry in any way you want uh, so uh, uh, and I think that that's true whenever a civilization or anything fails we forgot where we came and and uh, with that, uh, I, 
I like to close with something that has nothing to do with Alcoholics Anonymous, and it has everything to do with it. And in one of the archival magazines that I collected, there was an interview with, with Jack Dempsey. And Jack Dempsey was going to get in the ring for a title fight, and and he, the reporter asked him, I said, okay, Jack, uh, what's it going to take to win this fight? And Dempsey looked at him, and again, this has nothing to do with AA or alcoholism, but it has everything to do with it as well. He said, when you get to this level, and I relate that to alcoholism, when we get to this level where we are in AA, he said, we all have pretty much equal ability. He said, whoever's the hungriest is going to come out the winner. And I believe that's true in Alcoholics Anonymous. So I hope that uh, those that are here, if you're not hungry, you get hungry. And if you are hungry, you stay hungry and, uh, and pass this thing on. And, and where, where the ducks end up? And, and we'll just close it with this. It started in, in, uh, eight, in the 1840s with the Washingtonians, and then it went to the 18, 1895 with Sam Hadley, from Sam Hadley to Harrison Hadley. Harrison Hadley to the to the Frank Buckman and, and Sam Shoemaker to the Calvary Mission to Roland Hazard to Siebert Graves to Shep Cornell from Siebert Graves and Shep Cornell it went to Ebby Thatcher and from Ebby Thatcher it went to Bill Wilson and from Bill it went to Bob and it went from Akron to New York to Cleveland and from Bob to Bill Dotson and Ernie G and Phil S and to Florence Rodson and People ask who the first lady alcoholic was. It was not Marty Mann. It was Florence Rodson. She didn't stay sober, but went from from them to 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 Los Angeles, and from Los Angeles to or from actually to Long Beach, and from Long Beach to other places, and from Long Beach to San Francisco. And in San Francisco, it went to a guy by the name of Ward Fee, and Ward Fee was coming to Reno, Nevada, and he was only sober for a little short period of time. And he needed an alcoholic to find, so he he called the hospitals and he called the, the, the jails and they, they sent him to a fellow by the name of Ken B. And that was in 1944 in Reno, Nevada. And then AA started here in his living room and then it went to the Dryers Club. And then it went to the Alano Club and then to the Triangle Club and the 12-step club and to meetings all over town. And all those ducks lined up and they headed here to Sparks and they came down here and they climbed the escalator and they came up here and they traced into here and they went to everybody's seat in this room into this podium and we're all connected and we're all connected from here to way back there and we're all, we're all one. And uh, I want to thank you, Debbie, and thank everybody for being here. God bless. Thank you, Dale, so much for your presentation.